You're listening to a teaching series by Cross Culture Church of Christ. If you'd like any more information about our church, head to crossculture.net.au. Feel free to share this podcast with others, but please don't alter the content in any way. We hope you enjoy it. guys, well, we're in our final week in the book of Job, and I can imagine it's been quite a difficult book uh, to make sense of. Um, but our hope for you is that this series, not that this series would answer all of your questions, but that it would begin good questions on suffering and the character of God. Um, through the last five weeks, we've traced through the journey of Job in his suffering. We've, we've seen Job's incredible faith and trust in God, um, despite losing everything, We've seen the terrible advice his friends gave him as they rebuke him for sins he didn't commit, saying he's being punished by God when he wasn't. Uh, We've then seen Job wrestle with lots of unanswered questions about the goodness of God, the value of his life, before he locates his hope in God, his Redeemer, who would vindicate him and defend his innocence. And then last week, after endless arguments between Job and his friends, God finally speaks. But we see that he does it in an unexpected way. Instead of telling Job why he suffered, he begins to open Job's mind and heart to a complex world he can't even begin to comprehend. God shows Job that he's in control of all the details of the world, even over all the evil forces as well. God hasn't forgotten him, but we see that Job's just a small part of his very big plan. So today we're going to see how the book ends, where God will deliver his final verdict over Job and his friends. And we'll see three things today. That God redirects our perspective, he resolves our questions, and ultimately he will restore our world. So why don't we pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, please help us now to hear your voice through your word, that we would be comforted and transformed by it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you can remember, um, but I can still remember flying for one of the very first times. Uh, When I was a child, I always used to get excited about having the opportunity to hop in a plane and fly. Um, There was something amazing about being above the clouds, uh, flying through the air. I was a simple child. Um, but even to this day, I still kind of get really excited to go from even if it's Melbourne to Sydney. Um, there's something really magical about being in the air. It sounds like I'm working for Qantas right now. But I still can't imagine how we can get 183,000 kilograms of plane flying through the air at 1,000 kilometers an hour for 20 straight hours. I mean, how is that possible? Um, I still remember um, one time as a child being invited into the cockpit by one of the stewards. I don't think that happens anymore. Um, But back then, they actually let kids into the cockpit, um, into the plane to have a look around. And so I walk up to the front of the plane. um, The steward opens the door and all I see is this vast array of screens and buttons, stuff. I have absolutely no idea how it works. I don't even know where to begin. It's just mesmerizing. I just want to touch everything. I just want to press all the buttons, but they didn't let me. But just seeing inside the cockpit gave me this newfound appreciation for the complexity of planes and the skill of the pilot. That's what God does to Job here. 
through the book, Job's demanded answers from God. He's demanded answers to why he's suffering, whether God's being unfair, whether there's any meaning behind it at all. And so in the previous chapters, in chapter 38 to 41, God simply gives him a glimpse into the cockpit. He says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job can't comprehend the big things God controls. God also says, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Job isn't even aware of the little things, the seemingly random things that God controls. God then says, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Job has no idea how to handle these dangerous, these evil creatures in the world that God can simply fish out with a fishing rod. God drops the mic and puts Job back in his place. And so now in chapter 42, Job confesses to God in verse 2. And this is what he says. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Do you see here how God's redirected Job's perspective? See, all Job could comprehend was him in his suffering and wanting to know why. And so what God does is he reveals to Job his greater purposes beyond his suffering. And he begins to show Job a world where he's active at the controls. He's invested in all the details, in the big things, in the seemingly random things as well. God is everywhere. He's directing all things to his purposes. And that's why Job exclaims here, I know you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. But don't forget here, God hasn't told Job at all why he suffered. But what he has revealed is that his ways are far beyond ours. God doesn't operate the universe of, uh, on a single principle of um, rewarding good people and punishing bad people. No, there's so much more at play. Job's view of God is too limited. And so he utters things he did not understand. Job here, he may not understand what all the controls mean in the plane, but he trusts the pilot. He trusts that the pilot's in control of his life and directing the plane. He's directing the entire world towards his purposes. We need this perspective. It's unlikely in this life we'll ever find out exactly why things happen to us the way they do. We won't always know why our loved ones get sick when they do, why we couldn't just have a few more weeks, maybe a few more months to spend with them. We might never know why we were just always overlooked for the job promotion or or why we never seemed to just get that job that we really wanted. We might never know why we never end up meeting um, that special someone. See, our individual experience and knowledge is too limited. We can't always understand why things go wrong. But God shows us here that we can trust him with the controls. Job has an amazing faith. Sometimes we want to know every single detail of why things happen, how to prevent them in the future, to make sure bad things will never happen to us again. But often that can be us just wanting to be in control of our lives, wanting to take control of the plane instead of entrusting ourselves to the pilot. Isn't it interesting what Job says next in verses 5 and 6? He says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, 
but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. These verses show us what Job really needed. This whole time, Job wants answers from God. His friends try and give answers, so Job's heard about God. But God does something entirely different. Instead of revealing answers to Job, God reveals himself to Job. And that's what Job asked for back in in chapter 19. His deepest hope was to see God. That's what he needed. He needed to know that God was still with him. He was still in relationship with him. And that's exactly what God's done here. And so now Job's only response is to repent in dust and ashes in the presence of a holy God. Of course, we know that Job isn't repenting for his sin. That would undermine the whole purpose of the book if Job was in sin this entire time and he was just a hypocrite this whole time. But no, instead of repenting for his sins, I think Job's repenting for the way that he challenged God at some points. He's admitting here that he's overstepped his bounds at some points, that he's assumed some things of God that just weren't true. He's admitting here to limited knowledge. Uh, You'll see these concepts of knowledge and understanding repeated all the way through verses 1 to 4. You see, in Job's mind, it made good sense, didn't it, that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. So when bad things happen to him, who's a believer who loves God, well, then he questioned whether God was really in control and whether God was really good. So in God showing himself to Job, he revealed to Job this whole time he's been asking the wrong questions. Job's questions revolve around himself, his suffering, God's justice. But God redirects Job to what lies beyond his circumstances. He shows him God's care and concern for the entire universe, not just him. God says here, can you just trust me with the controls? And so now Job repents. He withdraws his complaints. You know, sometimes in our suffering, all we can see is us in our circumstances. What we're facing right now, that's understandable. But God redirects us too to what lies beyond ourselves. He shows us that he's not just involved in our suffering, but at the same time, he's directing the entire universe towards his purposes, his intended destination too. John Piper says that God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. That's why the cross really matters. Because in the cross, we, from our perspective, we might just see someone hanging from a tree. But you see, from God's perspective, from where God sits, on that cross where Christ is crucified on a tree, He's also saving the world from God's wrath. He's forgiving us of sin. He's providing us an example. He's winning a victory over death. He's freeing us from guilt. He's adopting us into his family. You see, God's doing thousands of things through that seemingly one act. And so that means that we can navigate the seemingly random things of the world, the things that we can't understand, knowing that in these moments, God's doing a thousand things. And we might be only aware of just a few. 
So in God's presence, Job's only response is to repent, to grasp how great God is, to understand how small we are. You know, sometimes the most loving thing God can do for us is to humble us, to bring us low, so we can lean on him in new ways. Sometimes it's only through suffering that we can grow in intimacy, we can grow in dependence of God, where we can see God's power made perfect through our weakness. Job's perspective has been entirely redirected towards God and his glory. And so in these next verses, we'll also see how God resolves our questions. God, he, he turns to Job's friends and delivers his verdict on them. He says to Eliphaz in verse 7, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. These words here, they resolve the tension of the book. Job's friends have looked at Job's suffering. They've blamed him for it, saying he sinned and that's why he suffered. But Job, on the other hand, he's protested his innocence. He refuses to believe that God would punish him for things he didn't do. And so now God has the final say. Job is right. His friends are wrong. It's a simple statement, but it has incredible implications. You see, his friends are charged with misrepresenting God. In their minds, bad people get bad things. But the world's not that simple. They put words in God's mouth that he would have never said himself. And so they stand in the place of God and they get it wrong. And it ends up hurting Job more. God's anger burns against them. It's a warning for us to be very careful what we say. To be very careful about how we represent God to those who are hurting. But remember through the book that Job's quarreled with God. He's doubted his justice. He's insisted on his own innocence. He's even questioned whether his life was worth living. And yet God can say of Job, he speaks of me what is right. Why? Because through the book, Job has wrestled honestly with God in his suffering. Even though he's not able to reconcile his circumstances with what he knows about himself and about God, he still refuses to believe that God's against him. No, he keeps trusting that God is his redeemer, that God's still on his side. God's not approving here everything that Job said, but he does affirm Job's heart in honestly seeking answers in faith. In faith. Where Job's friends talk about God, Job talks to God in relationship with him. You see, Job's battle here is won, not through the removal of his suffering, but through his response to it, which we see here is one of honest and persevering prayer. That's why God describes Job as his servant, someone on God's side working with him through hard times. Tim Keller says, The question of the book of Job is posed in its very beginning. Is it possible that a man or woman can come to love God for himself alone, so that there is a fundamental contentment in life regardless of circumstances? Yes, this is possible, 
but only through prayer. Sounds so basic. That prayer is one of the greatest gifts that we have in times that when times are tough. See, Job's friends, they talk about God. They're the ones that think they know a lot of stuff, but they're the ones that never attend the prayer meetings. Job may not be as eloquent as them. Job may not be as smart as them, but he's the one that's on his knees in prayer, where his faith is fueled, where his faith is sustained. When everything's against him, God is pleased with his servant Job who prays. It may not feel like it, but our suffering glorifies God in a very unique way. Because here it shows that our faith is not dependent on circumstances. No, our faith is unbreakable by God's power through our prayers. So as we live amongst our friends and family, don't be afraid to show them the ups and downs of your life. Especially sharing things that are hard, sharing things that we are really wrestling with. Because sometimes the reality of our suffering as Christians is a powerful witness. It shows that our faith can deal very robustly with the ups and downs of life, with all of life. So that our faith actually sustains us to endure it. God resolves our questions about Job by delivering him a positive verdict. But remember, there's also one more question that needs resolution too. Remember, through the book, Job's been fighting this battle. Um, But remember, in the background is this even bigger battle going on between God and Satan. God has been challenged by Satan. He's accusing God that Job only loves him because of the stuff that, that he's given him. So the outcome of Job's faith here will prove who will win. Can God be trusted? Or was Satan, was he right all along? You see, Job's not, not just on the battlefield himself. He is the battlefield. It's kind of like um, a stock advisor that says the stock will go up in price, while another advisor says the stock will go down in price. What actually happens to the stock will determine who can be trusted. Who is the trusted advisor? So Job's perseverance through suffering shows that it's God. It's not Satan who can be really trusted. So then from verse 8, God commands Job to pray for his friends, to intercede for them so that they might be forgiven. It's the ultimate rebuke for them. Remember, they thought that Job's suffering because he's a sinner. But I want you to look very carefully here. God asks Job to pray for his friends when? While he's still suffering. He hasn't been restored yet. See, they would expect that God would ask them to pray for the sinner Job. But God does the exact opposite. Because ultimately here, it's Job in his suffering who's rightly related to God. It's Job in his suffering who's in a position to intercede for them. And we see that Job has a heart of forgiveness. Though he's wounded by his friends, he's still willing to intercede for them. The book shows us that there is such a thing as a righteous sufferer who would intercede for those who hurt him. And that's why the big picture of this book is to prepare us for the coming of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. As Jesus hangs from the tree, he's the one 
who proves he's truly innocent. He's the one who intercedes for us as he cries, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. In some ways, the ultimate reason for Job's suffering was so much greater than just this tussle between God and Satan. No, what God's doing in the book of Job is he's ultimately preparing us for the coming of his son. Where we'd look at Jesus and see his suffering, not as proof that he's sinful, but as proof that he's the one, he's the suffering mediator who would rescue us from our sins. No, in Christ, God is resolving all our questions. And lastly, we're going to see here how God restores our world. Look at verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And we see here that Job gets twice as much as before. 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, seven. Uh, seven sons, three daughters, a long life. And to be honest, at this stage, you might think it's a bit of a cop-out. Job just gets everything back that he lost. So why did we even bother with this exercise in the first place? And to be honest, like it does seem to undermine the purpose of the book, which was to explore God's purpose in suffering. He just takes it away now. But remember, it's really, really important that we see this restoration as an act of grace, not reward for good behavior. Because if Job's behavior didn't cause his suffering, his behavior can't be the cause of his restoration either. Does that make sense? God doesn't have to do it. No, it's an act of free grace, of generosity. It's his prerogative to bless. It's not compensation for suffering. But what God's restoration does show is that suffering won't get the final word. No, Job's restoration, it drives us to anticipate a new beginning. A new beginning where all the wrongs, where all the pain that we face will one day be put right. Job was restored in this life. He got everything back and more. This may not happen to us, but we will get it all in the end. And it'll be so much better than this. Because look at verse 11, that even though Job's restored, people still need to show him sympathy and comfort. He hasn't forgotten. Now, the picture I get here is of Job celebrating while he still remembers what he's lost, while he still remembers what he's been through. He's still mourning. This is a picture of joy, yes, but it's still tinged with sadness. And even at the end of Job's life, he still dies. So even Job himself must anticipate a greater restoration that will be permanent, where his joy will be complete. And that's our hope, that our suffering now won't be our final word. Our suffering won't define our life. What we're ultimately, what we're going through now won't be our final form either. It's hard to believe it, but the coronavirus will be a forgotten memory. Chemotherapy, radiation will no longer exist. A restoration is coming where we'll be comforted by God himself in the new creation. So as we survey this book of Job, we learn that the book shows that our suffering is purposeful. 
uh, one of my friends, he has cerebral palsy, which is a condition that um, affects your motor function. It, it affects your brain function. And I remember him asking me, why was he made this way? Why did things turn out the way they did for him? And I'll have to admit, I don't know. But I know what it's not. I know that it's not just bad luck. I know that this isn't some random accident of the universe. And I know that he's not being punished for his sin. Even if we can't see it, we know that God's doing 10,000 things through it. That God's blessing, God's protection is still on him. And the book of Job shows us that suffering will end. Another friend um, has just been told that his cancer is untreatable and that he's been moved now into palliative care. These are two of the worst words you could possibly hear. He'll get weaker and weaker. He'll sleep more. Um, he'll get sicker, but they'll hope to control that through medication. He's being asked to um, treasure these last few weeks, these last few days that he gets to spend with um, his loved ones. Um, hopefully, everything that needs to be said will be said. But he knows that suffering won't get the final word on his life. He knows he's about to go to a place with no more hospitals. He's about to go to a place where doctors, nurses, they'll be made redundant. And how wonderful will redundancy be? He knows that even though he, he doesn't exactly know what to expect when he passes from this world, he knows he'll be safe. That God will be there to meet him. That the restoration he receives in body and soul will outweigh every tragedy he faced in this life. You know, as good as life can be here sometimes. I just miss people so much. I miss my grandparents so much. I miss my dad so much. As good as life, as it's just not good enough. We need a world that's everlasting, that's secure. Everything this world is not. So I hope you've been um, encouraged over these last few weeks to think deeply about the complexity of life and how God runs his world. Ultimately, the point of the book is that we don't need to understand everything now. We don't need to understand the plane to fly. We just need to trust the pilot and you need to know where you're going. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, in our suffering, we are often so confused. We have no idea what you're doing through it. Lord, thank, thank you for showing us today in the book of Job that you are doing thousands of things though we might be only able to see a few. Lord, we thank you that you are in control of all the details, the big things, the small things. And God, we are confident that one day all things, all suffering will cease. That the Lord Jesus doesn't just defeat sin, but he defeats death and he will defeat all suffering. And Lord, help us to trust in that. Help us to trust in you as the pilot and help us to know where we're going and the future that awaits us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.